Good evening, congregation. This is the very first sermon recorded in the New Testament that Jesus actually preached. And it's about the shortest sermon recorded that he preached. It says that he had been preaching around Galilee, but this is the first time we actually get to hear a sermon of Christ. And so by the time he had arrived at his hometown, what Mark was just sharing, they already heard all about him. And they heard especially about the miracles he had been performing in the other cities. And so when he comes to his own hometown, the whole hometown is there and they're very filled with anticipation. And that's what the text brings out. Their hometown boy is finally home, preaching his first sermon there. Now every village and town in Israel in those days had a synagogue. And so the Jews would meet at their local synagogue every Saturday morning. And let me describe a little bit what a Sabbath service was like. And it was very typical everywhere you went in Israel. So you would have a man officiate the prayers. The prayers were written prayers. And the people would recite the Shema, Hear Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Then there'd be the scroll of the law read and a rabbi would read from the law. Then they'd bring out a second scroll of the prophets and the rabbi would read from the prophets. Then there'd be a sermon. And oftentimes it was a distinguished guest who would give the sermon. Other times it'd be the local rabbi. And so there'd be a sermon, not very long, and very often questions were allowed. And so the rabbi would ask him any questions. That's why we have people um, saying things to Christ and he's responding to them. That wouldn't have been unusual in a local synagogue. And so that was it. No music, no drama. It was a very simple worship service. The men would sit on one side, the women on the other. I'm not advocating that. I'm just explaining what you would expect to see. The floor was usually dirt or flagstones. The common people would sit towards the back on mats. The important people in town would have stone benches. You'd have a few benches for them. And so the one officiating would use a horn, a chauffeur, you may be familiar with, and that would call all the people to worship on Saturday morning. Now when you think of what a typical service was like, I want you to consider verse 16. As was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. Don't pass that by so quickly. Jesus, the Son of God, goes to synagogue every Saturday. Think of all the reasons people give why they don't go to church. It's boring. There are hypocrites there. Was that true in a sense here? Yes, there are a lot of hypocrites in Israel at the time, and most of them were right there in that congregation. Maybe some say they've had a bad experience. Well, Jesus has had a few bad experiences already. And yet here is the Lord himself honoring the gathering of the saints. As simple as it was, the Bible was read, the Bible was taught, and the people gathered, and that was it. And so if Christ, the Son of God, as his habit, would not miss church, 
with all the problems that it was in those days, then what's our excuse? He is showing us the right custom for people of the Lord to gather together with God's people. And so Jesus is the honored guest. The hometown preacher has returned to give his first local sermon. Now Luke slows down the action in the way this is written. So you can imagine as if you were there. Notice how he says it. Jesus stood up to read. He was handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He unrolls the scroll. Sometimes the Bible can go months and years almost between stories. This story, it's almost second by second, as you can imagine this happening. He finds the section he wants to read. It's in Isaiah 61, we find out. He reads the section, and notice Luke even says, he rolls up the scroll. Do you feel like you're there yet? That's the point. He gives it back to the attendant. He sits, he sits down. There was always a teaching chair in the front where the rabbi would sit. And then, what does it say? Luke is really building the anticipation. Every eye was on him. He slowed it down so you can imagine you're there. What is he going to say? And he quotes from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Messiah in Isaiah is the one who would come in the power of God's Spirit. He would preach good news to the children of Israel. And then it goes on to say in Isaiah, and the Messiah would free the captives who were enslaved, and he would open blind eyes. And he would proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. In the Old Testament, that was the year of Jubilee. That's when the slaves were freed. Every 50 years, the slaves were freed. So this sermon in the Greek is actually one sentence. So sermons can be long, but this is not one of them. This is a very short sermon. And he really gets to the application very quickly, as what we would call application. And the application is this phrase. Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Do you see what he's saying? He is saying, I am your Messiah. It's being fulfilled now with me here. I am the one freeing the slaves. I am the one giving sight to the blind. And so that assumes then a response. And so what would you expect a response to be if the Messiah has arrived and said, I'm here to free the people of Israel? The expected response to that application is, free me, Lord. You're the Messiah. Open my blind eyes. That's exactly what he's saying he came to do. So the response would be, I want this. I need this. But notice the response in verse 22. All spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words coming from his lips. Now on the surface, this may seem very positive. Well, it's a nice thing. They like their hometown boy. They like the gracious way he preaches. But what's the problem? Nobody is asking to be freed from anything. Nobody is saying, I need you. I need freedom. They're just proud of their boy, who is now a very well-known preacher. No one even thought in their minds, are we blind? Why is he telling us this? 
See, in their minds, it's the Gentiles who are blind. That's the way your typical Jew thought. So they're the ones that were enslaved to sin, not us. And so Jesus says to those Jews, I've come to you to set you free and open your blind eyes. And it doesn't even hit them that that may actually apply to them. And so all they're talking about is what a nice sermon it was. You know, you're, you're a preacher for a while. Not everybody who shakes your hand on the way out and says good sermon responded to the sermon. <laughs> That's just a thing to say. And so notice what they continue to say. Is this not Joseph's son? At this point, that's still a positive. They're saying in a proud way, isn't this our local carpenter's boy? Now the big preacher going around famous from our little village? So there's such positivity here that Jesus completely destroys it with his next sentence. He kills the mood, as we would say. He says, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did in, at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. Now, Jesus had a great advantage over the rest of us preachers. Is he, he knew what was in everybody's heart. So he knew the exact motives of why people said what they said. We don't have that. Only Christ did. So he knows exactly why they're there and exactly why they came to hear him. And so he quotes a proverb that basically means charity begins at home. In other words, he knew what they were thinking. And what they were thinking is, all right, you've performed miracles in Capernaum. We've heard about the, and some of those are recorded in Luke. We've heard about what you've done there. Now you're our guy here. Do it now. Show us the magic. That's what they wanted to see. Physician to you yourself. Do it here at home is the idea. Now you see the problem? They want the show. They want the physical blessings. What don't they want? What he actually came to bring, salvation. They don't think they need forgiveness. They don't want to be set free of their sin because they think they're not enslaved to sin. And so Jesus reveals their motives by saying, all you want from me is a show. And you're not listening to what I'm saying. You're not listening to the reason I came here. And so he goes on, he makes matters worse. Truly I say to you, no prophet is without honor except in his hometown. In the Old Testament, the prophets were rejected by their own people, by the Israelites. So Jesus is saying, even though you're praising me right now, you're actually rejecting me. You're dishonoring me because you're not listening to what I'm saying. The only way to benefit from my ministry, Christ is saying, is to respond in application, I am blind, give me sight. I need forgiveness. I need inner healing. But because you're not asking that, you're actually rejecting me. You're rejecting God's prophet, his final prophet. And so in their minds, they were honoring him. And Jesus reads their hearts and says, praising me for simply giving you things is not honor, it's dishonor. Because you're not listening to the gospel. And so they are rejecting his message. And to bring this home, the Lord tells two stories. Two brief Old Testament stories that demonstrate what's happening. 
one from the life of Elijah and the other Elisha. Both were rejected by the Israelites. Both of them went to Gentiles, and what happened? Their message was received by certain Gentiles. And so he's saying, this is just what happened to the prophets. That's what's happening here right now as I'm preaching to you. This is what Elijah went through and Elisha. Now, they are fully aware at this point what Jesus is saying. So you have to imagine the mood totally changing from praise and excitement to anger. And notice what Luke writes. Their words of favor turned to wrath. They understood exactly now what Christ was saying. Their praise quickly turned to hatred. Because now they realized, you saying to us, Jesus, that we're as enslaved as the Gentiles to sin? That we need forgiveness as much as they do? Are you, you dare come to Israel and suggest such a thing? That we are blind? Typically, that's the way they always talk. The blind Gentiles and the seeing Israelites. Jesus said, you are blind and you need spiritual sight. Now, they consider Jesus a traitor for suggesting this. And in the Old Testament, what do you do to traitors and blasphemers? You stone them. And so what do they try to do? They try to bring them outside the city. That was the law back then in the local towns. And that's a foreshadowing of Christ going to the cross outside the city. They try to throw him off a cliff to do it very quickly. They're not even going to go through the legal ritual. They're going to kill him. Now here's the irony of all ironies. They're looking for a miracle. And the only miracle that happens is they don't notice. And what is it? He disappears when they're trying to kill him. And the Bible just says he slips away. But when you think about it logically, how do you slip away from a crowd pushing you to the end of, the end of a cliff? God had to do something in a miraculous way for him to leave. So the only miracle is one to save him from them killing him. And so here is how we must respond to Christ. See, many are very friendly to Christianity because they think it's nice and good and um, you get things, but they don't like the core message, which is you are as bad a sinner as anyone else under God's judgment and you need to be born from above and you need new eyes and you need to be freed from your slavery and there's nothing you can do. If you don't accept that message, you don't accept Christ. And you can go to all the Christmas programs you want and sing the songs. You are rejecting the Lord Jesus if you reject his central message. Now, this was the danger, for example, of the church in Laodicea. In Revelation 3, this is what Jesus says to them. Because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich, I am prosperous, I need nothing. You do not realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. When we don't admit what Christ is saying about us in this sermon, we are rejecting him. Jesus came to save us because we are enslaved to sin and we are spiritually blind and we are poor, we are dead before him. The way to respond to this first sermon and all 
the truths of Christianity is to believe what God says. Because Christ sees through the mask of all our religiosity, right? There's a lot of people in church all over Israel that would gather, they'd talk about God and his law, and when Christ actually preached the gospel, what was the response? They hated him. And so Jesus sees through all that to what you really believe about the gospel truth. Do you see yourself as poor, as blind, as needy, as sinful as anyone else? Or do you expect God to bless you because you really deep down think you are better than others? You look at the Gentiles like the Jews did in Israel. The way to respond to Christ's sermon is the same way he would expect it. We say to God, we are poor and needy. Save us, and if we're already Christians, forgive us and strengthen us, for we are still weak and poor. Do you see yourself as God sees you? And if it's true that you do, then you are a recipient of the reason Jesus came. You understand salvation. Your eyes have been opened and you have been freed. He came to do for you what's already happened because you are agreeing with this sermon. Let's give thanks to God for this. Father in heaven, we thank you for the glorious truths of the gospel that you came to give us what we needed most, which was life from death, forgiveness for our sins, eternal life and spiritual eyes. We thank you for us that you have done that and that you remind us in your word of our need. Help us, Lord, when we press the claims of Christianity with other people that we would stay true to the central message of the gospel, even if it offends many. We thank you for our great Savior who came to rescue us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.